If you have not tuned in to Crown and Joseph's uh, radio every Monday night at 6, you're missing a lot each and every week. Uh, the participants in charge, Mr. Bruce Barquette and Elisa Ring, they have unbelievable guests, great topics, uh, exceptional, exceptional storylines. They cover everything. Uh, so check it out, 6 to 7 uh, tonight. We'll talk about that. Uh, in a second, as we welcome in Bruce and Aida from the great firm of Barkhead Epstein. It is great to have you both. Um, you know, I have been riveted of late to this uh, Murdoch case. Um, you know, I kind of turned it on Thursday, Murdoch taking the stand, Alex. Uh, and it was uh, it was quite a performance. It really was. Uh, Thursday into Friday. Good to have you both, Bruce and uh, Aida. Good morning. Um, give, give me what you're thinking regarding this, because you're going to have a couple of more witnesses, I guess, today. And then, of course, it'll probably head to the jury, I would think, by Thursday at the latest. Uh, Bruce, give me an assessment, and I hope you're doing well, my friend. Quite well, thank you. Um I thought that his testimony was well-prepared. He's a lawyer, a trial attorney, used to speaking to juries, maybe not in this role, but certainly used to speaking in, in a courtroom. Uh, but I thought he got got trapped and, and trapped by the facts. Uh, he had uh, just an unbelievable and unavoidable problem, which is he had lied to the police about where he was uh, just before the murders. And it turns out he was right there where the murders were committed. And the timeline where it puts him there, and there's a very small window when it happened that somebody else would have had to come at that exact moment without a weapon, kill the two people, and vanish. And there's just no hint of anybody else being involved or any motive or anything else. So while his testimony I thought was good in the sense that he was, you know, he, he did well. I just think the facts are, are very tough for him. Ada, very good morning to you, my dear. You know, if this were a movie, Alex Murdoch would be up for an Oscar. I mean, he was unbelievable with the emotions and everything else, the crying on the stand. I, I tell you one thing, the, the only, well, there's plenty of setbacks, in my estimation, I don't know if you agree or not. Great Waters, who is the prosecuting attorney on this. Um, now, listen. I'm not a lawyer, nor, nor do I play one here on the radio. But he was all over the map the last couple of days. And I'm thinking, watching this, if I'm on the jury, I'm losing focus a little bit on how he is directing this case. And the focus is on the killing of his wife and his son. Because if that's the very crux of it all, there was kind of a shift as far as other routes leading to that by Waters himself. Am I okay on that assessment or no? Of course, actually, you are okay with that assessment. The problem is is a lot of people um, kind of judge the demeanor, the style, and the areas that a lawyer might get into at trial. And what I say is wait till the closing argument. Wait till you see how the prosecution puts this entire case together. Because throughout pretty much everyone's perspective on this is that the evidence points to guilt. And then uh, Buster gets on the stand, his son, and 
kind of warms up the jury to saying, you know, his father is it's a loving father. He's been there for him at every event in his life. He's a good man. Warms up the stage for his father to take the stage. And now people that genuinely believe they're watching across the nation that Murdoch is, is guilty are panicked that he's going to get away with it because he did such a great job testifying. Um, but when you see the prosecution's closing and how they put together every little stone that creates this giant mound of circumstantial evidence, I think it will ultimately be devastating. And a lot of times us lawyers go for little bits and pieces that we know we need for our closing and may not seem that poignant or may not seem that important or critical as the jury is watching the trial, but he'll connect all those pieces later. And I suspect he'll be convicted. I kind of agree with you. I really do. I kind of agree with you, Aida. Uh, Bruce, you know, it's interesting. You know, all of this, you know, in play as far as a, a deflection, so to speak, with all the financial crimes and everything else uh, allegedly in place here for Murdoch, um, you know, it, it really comes down to the fact, if not him, who? You know, I mean, it, it really is kind of a sidetrack as far as, okay, let's put the focus on some of this other stuff here. But in essence, you know, my feeling is I think Murdoch's goose is cooked. I think it's a great performance, but to me, he's a psychopath. I think he did it without question. He did. <laughs> I, I, what, I, what I said before about the facts being a problem, it sort of goes to the same point. It's not as, uh, as artfully. Um, one of the things that I heard, like we're not in the courtroom, we're not watching any bit of this, but there's an author who's writing a book about this, who's been there every day, and she described the jurors as not looking at Murdoch, not looking him in the eye, not kind of their body language was stiff and looking away from him. And that, to me, is um, a, a big tell. If he didn't connect with the jury emotionally, what you just he is he's finished. Um, that's how this is going to play out. And I think three of us agree he's likely to get convicted. But the big question for me is, what's his motive? Why did he kill his 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 wife and one son? It just seems to be a um, an, a monstrous act um, for no purpose. So we'll see. The prosecutor doesn't have to prove motive. It's not an element of the crime. But the jury goes back in there and, and, and looks at this and says, why did he do it? We don't know who did it. We don't know why they did it. We don't know why he would have done it. And the prosecution might have a problem. We'll, we'll have to see. <laughs> that's, why they, that's why they play the game. We have to see. No question with all the pills and everything else maybe being consumed by him himself. Uh, you know, to, to me, with all the financial stuff going on, all the nefarious activities uh, that uh, he allegedly engaged in, you know, to me, it was it was about, uh, you know, maybe deflecting all of that stuff uh, with all this in play. That's just my that's just my notion on this, you know, uh, but a very interesting thing. Go ahead, my dear. No, no, it, it is a it is a weird kind of motive that the prosecution is really confident about and is really trying to sell because generally when you see murders by family members, it's either like an emotionally disturbed, um, you know, heightened 
extreme emotional disturbance, like a man finds his wife in bed with somebody else, or jealousy, or heat of the moment argument, right? Um, or it's like long-term kind of psychosis depression, like when a mother murders her children or a father murders his children and wife and then tries to take his own life. That's a symptom of severe mental Ill- illness. This doesn't really fit into either of the two categories. Um, and I say this because generally speaking with an extreme emotional disturbance, it, it isn't planned and it happens in the heat of the moment. And then the steps taken thereafter are panic steps that don't really cover up uh, what's occurred. But here we see a lot of attempts to cover up, right? He um, immediately left. He went to visit his mother. He told the caretaker, tell people I was here for 40 minutes, not 20 minutes. He changes his clothes. There's a video of him in different clothes. He claims he's in the same clothes. He lies about being at the scene. Um, and, you know, the phone steps are interesting because they track his movement and his wife's movement. Um, there's no blood on his clothes, and you would think that a, a, a family member, a husband, a father would immediately run to his kids and wife and try to see if there's any chance of resuscitation. Uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting um, and kind of consistent with what you say, Jay, that he's, you know, a sociopath. Um, this is a man who was involved in serious drug trafficking, had serious drug problems, embezzled money, stole millions from his clients, did it uh, intentionally, purposely, uh, covered it up, then later tried to kill himself, sort of, uh, by hiring a former client to shoot him on the side of the road. So I, we, it may be that the motive, the true motive, if he's guilty, doesn't make sense you know, from kind of a typical perspective that we're used to. But I don't think it was purely financial. Generally, you don't kill your family for that or your son, you know, even though they were about to get divorced or there was talk of divorce. And maybe there was a family secret that was about to be revealed and there was some desperation there. Fascinating a case as you could ever view uh, without quite... I didn't think I'd be into it that much, but I'll tell you... him on the stand the last couple of days, it was beyond. So uh, we'll see what happens. A very important week. Bruce Sing Sing will be the topic at hand this evening on crime and justice, my friend. Talk to me. Yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, there was a uh, there's a, a federal investigation into what can only be described as a planned attack um, supervised by um, the highest-ranking officers at Ossining or Sing Sing Correctional Facility in Westchester. Um, apparently what happened, and, and we'll have the lead lawyer on that case, who happens to work for Ket Epstein, Danielle Muscatella, we'll have her on tonight to discuss this. But what happened is we have 26 people so far, really 28, and there's more to come, um, who indicated that one by one they were stripped down to their boxer shorts, taken out by a CERT team, which is a special team in the Department of Corrections used to handle kind of uprisings. There was no uprising. One by one, taken out of their cells and beaten um, in, in the presence of the superintendent of the uh, facility. So this is quite a scandal. It's an unbelievably brutal and cruel act by these guards and by the uh, facility and the institution, really. Um, so we'll have her on to talk about 
uh, the progress of the investigation and um, the lawsuit that we filed against the Department of Corrections and against these individuals. Very interesting. Uh, Aida, I'll tell you, uh, Sing Sing has been the focus of a lot of things over the years. That's going to be a very interesting uh, discussion uh, this evening, especially when it comes to policies, you know? It would be, and it's devastating because a lot of inmates, obviously, are in for something bad, right? So society has a tendency to disregard their complaints because they're almost, as a matter of law, and I don't actually believe this, not credible, right? If someone's in there for an assault or a sexual assault or a robbery or a burglary, people tend not to believe uh, what they say when they say a certain officer was hard, but this is dozens of individuals um, asserting allegations of punching, kicking, slamming heads against the walls and floors, one man having his arm, you know, uh, put against a radiator and burned, people being pepper sprayed while handcuffed, uh, thrown to the floor with a knee on the back, and it's corroborated by many medical records Um and I think half of the individuals that were cited for infractions were not found guilty. So um, we maintain that they're credible, and it's important to not disregard. That's what we love about Danielle, and that's what we love about our law firm. A lot of attorneys might disregard a single complaint and say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, prison, prison life is tough, and COs sometimes abuse their authority. But here, Danielle listened, she heard, and it had a ripple effect, and everybody came forward, and we're proud of her. We hope, you know, we make some changes in Sing Sing as a result of this lawsuit. Wow. That is a riveting topic. Uh, you don't want to miss that tonight, folks. Six to seven, Crime and Justice Radio. Bruce Barquette, although he's traveling, I had a license ring uh, in play. We await. Should be a good one. Can't thank you enough, both of you. Bruce, safe travels. Thank you very much. We'll see you again uh, soon. Take care.